And then the minute the website launched, two days later, we had an order for 20,000. And that was very much the pivot because that became very full-time, very quickly. Um, Emil and I were both, you know, in the kitchen all day, every day for about three months. And in the evenings to kind of keep our cash flow afloat, we were working at Secret Cinema selling the gummies with the help of a couple friends. Um, so it was this kind of very vicious cycle of wake up, make, pack, go to an event, be back at one in the morning, do the same thing um, until we could get the 20,000 out. And then we could kind of structure what the business would look like. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring, educating, and connecting the startup community to help you make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup You, the regional delivery partner for Virgin Startup. Each episode provides the story of an entrepreneur who talks us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Welcome to episode 129 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I chat to Melanie Goldsmith, co-founder of Smith & Sinclair, founders of the world's first alcoholic suite and the UK's first edible fragrance. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Melanie has won NatWest's Every Woman Award in 2018 and has also been a winner at the National Business Women's Awards and the Great British Entrepreneur Awards as well. Before we start, a massive thank you to everybody who's left a rating and a review for the show, the latest of which I would like to say a massive thank you to Kathy Lynch, co-founder of Vogue Nitro Coffee, who says, Gift Screw It, just do it a listen if you own your own business or are thinking about embarking on the startup journey. The quality of the content and guest speakers are top class and host Alex Chisnell is a joy to listen to. Well, thank you very much indeed. Um... All you need to do is scroll down on the app that you're currently listening to where it says ratings and reviews right down the bottom. Click to leave a rating. A review will literally take you 10, 15 seconds to leave a one-liner and is massively important in helping a wider audience listen to the show. We're up to 111 countries as of this week, which is pretty incredible and something I never thought possible. So massive thank you to anyone who's about to go and do that for me. So on to today's show. Um, Smith and Sinclair are the founders of The Alcoholic Gummy and are on a mission to make adulting, as they say, more fun. So they create innovative products and experiences that range from patented alcoholic cocktail gummies through to effervescent tablets you can drop into Prosecco and turn into a mind-blowing cocktail. What started out as an icebreaker for events has now scaled to a lucrative business on a 500% growth trajectory and ambitious plans to launch in the US by the end of the year. Pretty incredible story. I hope you're going to enjoy this interview as much as I did. Um, I met Melanie back in 2015 um, at a virgin party and she has no recollection of me being in the photo booth with her. She probably thinks that I had far too many of their alcoholic sweets. Anyway, more information um, about their story and about all things Screw It, Just Do It, including our upcoming third birthday party, which we're celebrating with a live event and some very special friends. Head on over to the Facebook page for Screw It, Just Do It 
and you'll be fully up to date with everything. Screw it, just do it. Without further ado, let's start up. Innovate in the drink space to make adult more fun is essentially our mission in life. And we started about five years ago with the launch of the alcoholic cocktail gummy, um, which is essentially a giant fruit pastel that's half a shot and deconstructed like a drink. So whereas with a normal gummy, you just have strawberry flavored and they're either sour or plain. We deconstruct them so that the base is a rum or whiskey, gin, vodka, Prosecco base mixed with natural flavorings. So for example, with our berry daiquiri, it's a mixed berry and grenadine natural flavoring that's mixed with dark rum and Angostura bitters mm. to create the actual gummy pastel. And then it's sugar-coated in a different garnish. So our berry daiquiris and pink and black peppercorn, whereas something like our whiskey sour has a grapefruit pith infused sugar coating. Um, and these were our only and number one product <laughs> for yeah. the first couple of years. And then we started to realize our consumers were craving more innovation for the at-home drink space. So they wanted to innovate in a mixologist way for hosting, for parties, for themselves. Um, so this year we launched two more products. One is an edible fragrance, essentially a spray garnish to spritz over the nose of your drink to enhance mm. the flavor by 80%. Wow. Um, and these launched in really unusual flavors like pear and vanilla and cherry blossom and mandarin, watermelon and citrus. But we've um, recently launched into Vodka Revolutions with a range of orange, twisted orange oils, which can actually flame as well. So you can light them and they're flammable, which that, is really fun. That sounds pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, and then our second product to launch last year was called Fizz. And it's essentially a twist on Barocca. Mm -hmm. So it's adult broccoli. It's a tablet you drop into <laughs> Prosecco, champagne, a gin and tonic, a vodka soda, and it will dissolve within a minute to change the color and flavoring of the drink. So you've got a cocktail without any hassle. Well, funnily enough, like you, you twice mentioned the word innovation. And when mm -hmm. I was reading um, up on what you've been up to over the last few years since, since I first met up with you in 2015, like three of the words that jumped out at me were um, curiosity, playfulness, and, and innovation, funnily enough. Do you think that's a fair reflection on, on the brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try to be big kids. And the reason why kids have so much fun is because they're constantly curious, they're constantly exploring, they're creating things they've never seen before. And we like to approach the way we look at the brand, whether that's visually or internally or with our products in the same way. And and where did the original source of inspiration come from to launch a business, assuming this is your first business and you hadn't done anything before that, entrepreneurial? It, it is my first business. Um, before this, I'd run um, a jazz series of events and I ran a small jazz festival. So I've definitely taken the risk of not knowing what I was doing and just going and doing it mm. <laughs> before, but never in a business sense. Um, Sinclair got started by accident, a very happy accident, where we um, were running these dating nights that were all about adult play. So around bars in London, you could come and play board games, meet people in a really sort of social environment where the point was to release your inhibitions, the point was to play like a child, um, to become more physical, but not in a sexualized sense, just in a, you know, that's the way we connect. And to get people into that mindset is really difficult because as adults, we put up all these social barriers, these constructs, and what we use as a crutch is often alcohol. So there was this bottleneck around the bar where people 
just needed to socially lubricate really quickly before, you know, embarking on getting on the floor and playing guess who. And because that bottleneck didn't quite work because people don't want to sit on the floor. If they've got a drink in their hand, they don't want to smash glass. They, it was, you know, it didn't fit. So instead, um, my co-founder, Emil, who's a chef by trade, came up with the idea that we could give people pick and mix bags on arrival and then kind of not hide, but scavenge jars of gummies around the room that ranged from whiskey sours to gin and tonics to berry daiquiris. And um, people really instinctively knew what to do. Mm. They knew to fill their bags. And each of these gummies looked like something very familiar and tasted like something very familiar. Yeah. And after a couple, you were pretty tipsy. Mm. I do remember, what were some of the original flavors you had? And I'm sure I remember Christmas 2015 there being like a gin and tonic, for example, a strawberry daiquiri maybe. Am I, am I right? Yeah, those were, those are so popular. They're still in the range. Brilliant. Um, originally, we had one called a spiced rum, which was probably our least popular. Mm. And we've now adapted the rums to be more um, mainstream flavors. Okay, okay. Um, and how quickly did you... Um, pivot them from that original idea of, uh, of of hosting those events to going fully fledged into innovating what's probably a brand new category I'm assuming really it is yeah which is you know comes with its challenges as well mm, I'm sure um, we were doing the board game nights for about a month um, and the the gummies were clearly popular because we kept getting people who'd come to the events asking to buy them for parties and private gifts and things like that. So we kind of sensed there was a hunger. We, at the same time, got a market stall space in Soho mm -hmm. and sold about £3,000 worth in three weeks and then took sort of that Christmas break, built a website over that Christmas break. And then the minute the website launched, two days later, we had an order for 20000 wow. And that was very much the pivot because that became very full-time, very quickly. Mm. Um, Emil and I were both, you know, in the kitchen all day, every day for about <laughs> three months. And in the evenings to kind of keep our cash flow afloat, we were working at Secret Cinema selling the gummies with right. the help of a couple friends. Um, so it was this kind of very vicious cycle of wake up, make, pack, go to an event, be back at one in the morning, do the same thing hmm. um, until we could get the 20,000 out. And then we could kind of structure what the business would look like. So, so was that very much back then um, creating a business from your kitchen table, essentially? You were literally living, breathing, eating and drinking the business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were eating very little to save as much money as we could. <laughs> mm. And how? And at that point, I'm assuming, you, had you already given up your, your daytime jobs or was that a little further down the line? Once you, once you got that big order in, I'm assuming you were all hands on deck. Yeah, we were we were in a fortunate position. I'd left my job because I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that and happens. Had yeah, and so was quite committed to making this work. And you know, luckily we were making cash from day one, and we were both really frugal and um, lived with a lot of people to ensure we could afford to stay right. in London. Um, Emil was an agency chef, so he kept doing agency work to kind of keep himself afloat until we went full time into manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, it was kind of all guns a blazing. I um I actually sold a piece of inherited jewellery um, very early on, sort of an antique piece, which helped us probably pay our rent for about six months. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then after that, we were very cash flow positive for the first year and a half until we needed to go into our next scale, which was to launch into John Lewis nationwide. And that required external funding, which we did with a small seed round of angels. Okay. Now, how, sort of time scale wise, how, how long did you take before you you decided that you, you couldn't just manage it on on the positive cash flow that you were generating, and you and you needed to start scaling up. Was that the John Lewis moment, or was that getting other orders in that were equally like five five figures? Um, it was no. We stayed cash flow positive with Harvey Nichols and a handful of other retailers um, for about two years, and then the seed round was a cash injection to prepare for John Lewis because that doubled our business. Yeah. Um, and then we took an, a series A of 2 million last May, um, which has helped us grow into the business we are now where we've brought on several very large listings. We've able to, we've been able to launch two new products to market. We've been able to invest in our own e-commerce platforms um, and really now are on a quite fast acceleration. We're already January this year compared to last year, we're on a 500% growth trajectory. That's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, which again must come with its own challenges i'm sure trying to trying to actually get people to help you and train them up i always find is is a challenge when you're growing so quickly yeah i mean we've got an absolutely brilliant team in head office and we've outsourced manufacturing which was a godsend to say the least mm. um but now it is yeah very much next next scale of recruitment um, and when you're essentially creating a new category and you're going into the uh, the John Lewis's of this world, um, is there an amount of educating the market as to what you are and what you do? Are there those kind of challenges to start with? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one knows what a spray garnish is because mm. it hasn't existed before. Um, we use a lot of video and imagery through our social media and digital ads to communicate what it is sort of live. And then we found working with brand partners really helps because, you know, working with someone um, recently, we worked with Bombay Sapphire on a piece of innovation. Oh, They've yeah. got the platform to really communicate what that innovation is to their consumers at scale. And then working with someone like Vodka Revolutions with our orange spray it, it creates a very uh, easy first step of education because the consumers are going into vodka revs regardless of what's there. Mm. Seeing our spray creates that, you know, it creates a subconscious instinct to want to then potentially look it up and buy it and purchase it for their home. Mm. So it's we're trying to embed ourselves into culture points without having to force advertising down people's throats. Um as an offside hit, have you had the chance to go to Bombay Sapphire's distillery in, in Hampshire? I haven't, but my colleagues have. They, and they went up recently as well to do the Glasshouse project, which they just said was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I went there literally about a month or so ago, and it was amazing. Such a, such a great day yeah. out, and such great history to it as well. Um, I, I could imagine it must be yeah. really cool working with a company like that. It's a really amazing brand. It really is. And, mm. you know, the quality of the liquid's really high. So yeah. it's in a fun project um and were you surprised when you first started this how little innovation there actually is or has been in the drinks industry i mean you see quite a bit happening now in the, in the soft drink side of things with with the likes of ugly drinks for example um you know i know those guys mm. and a few other people coming into that um but but alcoholic wise other than like a chocolate liqueur I'm, I'm trying to think i can't think of anything else really that's happened in the last couple of decades yeah there was it's interesting because my background's not in drinks so i'd never really 
analyze the industry until I was in it. And then mm-hmm. it was incredibly surprising how behind it is as something, you know, other industries like beauty, cannabis, yeah, um, yeah. you know, fashion, everything seems to have had a very quick acceleration with technology in the last 10 years. And drinks has sort of remained liquid to lip. So even though we've had ready to drink cocktails in a can, which was a big step in innovation, yeah. and we've had seed lip, which is obviously a non-alcoholic spirit, prove themselves to have a market opportunity it's still all liquid to lips you know and mm. what we're doing is trying to bring alternative ways to drink fun you know to, to really experience the theater of it um outside of just being liquid to lips all the time yeah um, and tell me uh, on that innovation tip um i was reading about the, the john lewis store um concessions that you have and kind of you know, kind of reminded me of that classic, uh, you know, Willy Wonka type experiments going on. Um, do you just like to give our audience a kind of flavor of what you've been up to and, and what your future plans are in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So we, I mean, we're an experiential led brand, obviously with my theater being, my background being in theater, it's, it made sense to kind of bring that to the forefront of how we communicate um, and to just have fun with it. You know, it's so boring shopping in really sterile environments. And what John Lewis has done really positively is really champion experience in their spaces. And we were the first non-beauty concession to go into their floor in the Oxford Street store. And um, so we really wanted to bring to life what the product was. So we had a big wall with buttons all over it in the shape of the gummies. And you could press them and they would release smells of the ingredients. And then you could go over to a different wall and press bigger buttons where we'd actually curated smells to match the cocktails that you could buy on the stand. Um, We had a pick and mix wall where you could buy whatever box you wanted and fill it with different flavored gummies. And then we had a cocktail bar where we ran workshops and you could actually stay and have a drink halfway through your shopping day. Very cool. And when I I read uh, something similar to that, it reminded me of... Um, Lush, who are based where, where I live in Poole, where their headquarters are, and we had them do um, headline one of our talks, do a keynote, and um, it's really interesting, you know, when you people talk about the death of the high street and stuff, and when you actually walk down the high street, high street here where I live, and there's literally a queue, you know, a, a gathering of people outside Lush because they've got. Um, stuff that you can play with and make so you know there's people creating things outside of the store in little stands inside of the store um you know the staff interacting with the with the customer to create stuff whereas you you look around at a load of the other shops there and you know kind of big high street chains and there's nobody in them there's nobody going in or out and you just think is nobody else getting this that you literally have to innovate or die Mm, I mean, Lush are amazing. They're by far one of our hero brands. Um, Mm. We love what they do. And I think they've continued to be consistently innovative in their products. But also their stores are very, you know, very reactive to the consumer. Mm. And you've just watched them change over the last couple of years to engage that younger beauty shopper. You know, they're organic, they're vegan, they're really transparent about their sourcing. So it runs through a really authentic messaging throughout their brand, not just in their stores. Whereas I think some brands get it quite wrong by being a traditionally closed off, non-authentic brand. And then they're like, but we'll do an in-store experience. And it's like, yeah, but it's not that's it's not a one-stop shop you know you've got to carry that level of innovation through the business mm. and, and i was gonna ask you do, do you think um given that you've you, 
had to educate um, the, the market you've gone into because you're creating um, a brand new category. How important has been brand relationships, partnerships um, to, to help you get that message across? Really important. Um, we've been, you know, really fortunate to work with amazing brands in both the drinks industry and out of it. Um, but it it's a place, you know, we don't have huge budgets to do customer acquisition online. So, you know, we haven't got millions to go out there and just hit demographics with tons and tons of ads to get them to understand our brand, mm. but bigger brands do. So, yeah. you know, it's been hugely beneficial for us to work in an agile way to be their innovation partner, to be their experience partner. You know, what we did with Tanqueray two years ago with creating a, a gin bar on Carnaby Street, which was consumed gin five ways. <laughs> you know, we it was amazing positioning. Um, Tanqueray, you know, really brought in that gin authenticity and we brought in the fun and the play and the consumer totally bought into it and we sold out of tickets in 24 hours. Wow. So, you know, we really see that as a benefit to how our business has grown in the last five years. Mm. And when you've looked to, to scale this, have you, have you found like what kind of percentage of business that are, now for you is given that you've gone into John Lewis is, is online and, and how much is, is, is offline for you? Um, we're about 20% online, 80% offline. Okay. Um, and is it, is it UK wide with regards to people being able to get hold of your products or are, are you looking at Europe? Are you looking at US? Um, I mean, literally the world is your oyster with, with something <laughs> as innovative as this, surely. Um, well, we're looking to grow our online to be 30% of our business. Um, I think traditional retail spaces for us still have a place because it's not, ob you know, it's not necessarily obvious what we do or how you fit it into your life. Mm. Whereas if you're shopping in a gift retailer, it makes sense. Um, and there's a trust built between you and that retailer. We um, are looking to grow into two European countries this year and to launch in the U.S. for Christmas 2019. Uh-huh, I see. And I suppose... Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Have you found that other businesses have suddenly sprung up doing exactly what you're doing? Um, what we uh, it's it's difficult. There's brands who advertise that they're doing alcoholic gummies mm. or cocktail gummies, and they're just not alcoholic in any way. They're artificially flavoured. There's no alcohol uh, in the process. Okay, right. Um, and that's frustrating because it's it it destroys that consumer education piece. It confuses the consumer. Mm. Um, so one of our biggest challenges is to say our USP is that we are alcoholic, that we are half a shot per gummy and we retain 7% ABV. And that is our big point of difference. And, you know, our consumers are repeat customers. They, they get that. The quality is different with us. In terms of um, our other products, not not really. What we do is relatively complex. So I think from an innovation standpoint, it's it's, who would copycat, I guess, because a confectionery company isn't going to go into the drinks industry and the drinks industry don't necessarily have the techniques yeah. to go into sort of edibles in the way that we are. So it'll be interesting. Maybe in America we'll, we'll find we get mm. more copycats. <laughs> uh, and and what's, what's the biggest challenge you, you've, you've got at the moment? What's the, the biggest frustration that you've got? Because if, you, if you're growing, like you say, 500%, that must come with, um, with certain challenges. Yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge on the team. I would say, you know, we've got a lot of work on all the time. The good thing is there's a huge amount of respect and trust for everyone's time as well. So you're all in it together. I think right now our biggest 
challenge will be hiring the right people to continue growing at this rate mm. successfully um, and keeping cash flow, you know, in terms of manufacturing for the number of retailers we now have, that 60-day p- payment period is a challenge to stay on top of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what's been um, what's been the – it must have been a few, clearly, but what, what's been the best highlight for you so far in what is – what, coming up to a five-year journey or, or just about a five-year journey? It was five years in January. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Um, biggest highlight would probably be – it will be a combination of things. It will be launched in John Lewis. It will be raising the two million pounds because that just was such a such a coup for the business. Mm. And um, getting the recruitment right, you know, getting a team who love coming to work every day, who like seeing each other. That's that was a really that's been a really big highlight. And and when it came to to, to raising finance, and I, I get so many questions around this, given given my background, and every time I go to an event or, or anything like that, um, when when you looked at the options, was was the VC the one that jumped out at you straight away, or did you did you examine all the other options that were out there, and how easy a process was it for you? Because some people send literally their lives change, and they just spend their entire lives pitching for for funding. Yeah, it's it. It's definitely an exhausting period <laughs> to go through. Um, we explored lots of different options. It was more for us the people behind the money that mattered. You know, we yeah. wanted people who really believed in what we were doing, um, who were equally, you know, excited and wanted to support, but didn't want to be overtly hands-on um, because we still needed that creativity to grow in the direction we felt was best for us day to day. And we definitely found those partners. And and how did you take charge of that yourself, and how how do you divide up responsibilities um, with a meal? No, that was that was my job. Oh, was it okay? <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and how how did did you make make the divisions between what you both do quite clear at the start, or has that literally um, been kind of a work in progress over the last few years as different challenges have thrown up and deciding who who does what? Um, at the beginning, I think you just don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. So it is very much just like tag teaming everything that comes up every day. Um, we, we realized quite quickly <clears throat> that Emil would focus 100% on innovation and heading up all of our new product development and brand partnership work. And I would oversee the business end to end. Okay. And then I've brought on a really strong senior management team who support so that the detail of marketing experiences, sales, commercials sits with them. That's awesome, and um, let you crack on with your day. But last uh, question um, for you would be: What do you want people to take away from your story? Particularly, people who are either thinking of starting up in this space or who've started up recently and are already getting challenges to um, to get where they want to be. What would your uh, your advice be? Um, I, I mean, I guess first it's, it's so hard, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I guess what you hear when you go on podcasts are the success stories and the, and the really happy times, but believe me, there have been some really serious challenges with growing a business and you're not alone. And those moments are really scary. And I would definitely urge people to find themselves a really strong support system within or without their industry. Mm -hmm. Um, that's definitely helped us as having mentors, advisors, people that had been through it who were really open about how 
they either got it wrong or got it right so that we could learn from them. Mm. Um, and, you know, definitely have an open, open-minded yes mentality. I think one of our, one of the things I'm most grateful for is we, we didn't set out to create the one and only alcoholic gummy in the world and wouldn't look at anything outside of that because that would have stunted a lot of our opportunities. Mm. So I'd say be quite open-minded when it comes to what you're doing and ensure that you've got your purpose really clear because that can flex to different routes. Mm. And um, just signing off on that, we recently had had, um, had Holly Tucker from Not on the High Street um, as a host at uh, an event we did in London. And she was very much, you, know, you kind of look at the history of what, what she's been through with Not on the High Street and then launching another brand, Holly & Co. And um, she was very much all about staying small because you're able to to make those t- decisions to be able to pivot and, and not be so narrow-minded in, in staying, you know, true to that one thing that you might have had at the beginning but as you've kind of mm. been a great example of being able to pivot and make changes being really lean and you're able to do that yeah absolutely well thank you so much for your time um have a great friday and i will give you a shout Thanks when so much for having um, me on. you're so welcome it's great to, uh, to talk to you um we'll be looking to put this out at some point in april so sometime in the next four to five weeks and we'll give you a give you a heads up cool. on that Thank you so much. Have a lovely weekend. So thanks for listening to this week's episode with Melody Goldsmith from Smith and Sinclair. A couple of things that we talked about, such a really, really interesting brand, uh, what they're doing in the drink space. Um, Eat your drink. Love that phrase as well. Um, So innovation, innovation, the products that they've been launching, pretty incredible. Watch this space. They're looking to launch in the US by the end of this year. Pretty damn popular at parties and a hell of a partner in John Lewis to bring this to the gaze of the, of the British public. Um, something to think about in your own business. What can you do that's different? What can you do to grab attention? Because that's certainly what these guys have done. Um, adult play, relearning how to play like a child. I think we should all do more of that. Um, I think makes you more curious, makes you more interested as well as more interesting without a shadow of a doubt. And the theater of drink, taking your skill sets, what you've used in the past, in, in Mel's case, her background in theater and utilizing it in a business, um, getting people to use all of their senses when sampling their drinks, not just their taste, but their sight, their smell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's fantastic, incredibly innovative, incredibly disruptive, um, and something that I think is just going to get more and more popular. As always, head on over to our Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page to find out um, about our live events and the latest on everything to do with screw it just do it it's got loads of exciting stuff building up to our third birthday in june and if you're not on our email list already just drop us a message at alex chisnell usually linkedin's the uh, best place to catch hold of me or you can email alex at screw it just do it.org have an awesome week
If you like this podcast and you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. You'll be able to see our upcoming events calendar for the UK. Pick up a ticket from as little as £10, which includes complimentary drinks and the opportunity to meet and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs, find a mentor or an investor. You'll also have the opportunity to meet our speakers and ask them your burning questions in person. Hope to see you there. If you're an entrepreneur looking to start or scale their business, then I'd love to help you. Being part of the Startup U community means we can help you in a number of ways. Simply go to Facebook and find Startup U Club through the different groups on there and join. We can help you in a number of different ways through daily inspiration and education, through to accessing funding, investment and mentoring. In fact, pretty much anything that you'll need on your startup journey. And if you've got a great story that you'd like to share, then I'd also love to hear from you. Just go to startupu.co.uk, click on the contact page and drop me a message. I'd also love to connect with you personally. It's at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn and Twitter and at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. And if you enjoyed listening to this particular episode, then please subscribe and I'd massively appreciate a review. All you need to do is click on the ratings and review tab on iTunes and leave us your thoughts on there. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be right. Action always beats intention. So just screw it. Just do it. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great-looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screw it, just do it to enter.